explore the night skies with our large range of high-quality telescopes. Whether you're a novice or an astronomy expert, we have the right telescope for you in our Australian Geographic e-store. Explore the whole range and find the right telescope for you today. Go to www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash shop. That's www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash shop. Hi, I'm Angela Heathcote and this is Talking Australia, a podcast by Australian Geographic. Today, I'm talking to Blake Chapman. There's so many myths out there about sharks and Blake's made it her life mission to change these narratives. Being one of Australia's leading shark experts, she focuses her research on how a shark's brain works and why they aren't the monsters we've heard about. So I'm really excited to be chatting to Blake today on this episode of Talking Australia. Blake, you're the most knowledgeable person I know when it comes to sharks. You've spent so much of your life advocating for them, but I guess many people see them as quite fearsome creatures. So I'm wondering, where did your fascination with sharks come from? Thank you very much, Angela. You're very kind. Um, I have to say, my beginning with sharks is, is a little bit embarrassing. I am a Discovery Channel tragic. Um, so I've always loved the oceans and I've always loved marine animals. They've been you know, highly interesting to me. Um, but I, I distinctly remember one day watching a Discovery Channel episode that portrayed a white shark as being a victim. And I just remember thinking, wait a second, this isn't right. Sharks are, are dangerous. They're out there killing things left, right, and center. They're just these apex predators that always win. But what this documentary showed was how heavily defended certain prey items for these sharks can be, like seals, for example. Um, and it, it just really brought sharks into real life a bit. They, they weren't elevated to this godlike status in the ocean. They, they are apex predators in many situations. But they're still just animals. They're out there doing what they need to do. Sometimes they win, sometimes they lose, sometimes they are successful in catching a meal, and other times they get injured. And I just remember thinking, I, I get the feeling that what we know, what we hear about sharks, is maybe not always right. And it just really started to bring up a lot of questions in my mind. And the more questions I asked, the more research I did into sharks, the more I realized that First off, we know very little. And secondly, a lot of the things that we, we understand as being true aren't necessarily true. So it just, it really sparked this lifetime curiosity in me and I just, I had to know more and I had to know more. And then as I started to learn some of these things that you know, were out there with all these myths surrounding us, it then became a challenge for me to, to use the knowledge that I was gaining and get that knowledge out into the public forum to help to start to alleviate some of the myths. I have to say one of my favourite things about your kind of shark communication is that you do tell so many of those other narratives that we're not really familiar with. Like, for example, your recent article for Australian Geographic was about how, you know, orcas prey on sharks. And I just, you know, in my mind, I didn't even know that great white sharks even had um, a predator. So what you said was like completely true. And I guess on that note, I'm wondering, um, you know, your specialty is shark neuroscience. Can you kind of break down what that is and how that's kind of informed your shark communication? Yeah, sure. So 
<laughs> sharks are just, first off, going back to some of your earlier points, sharks are just such diverse animals. There's over 500 different species of sharks, and that's not including the rays and the other related species. And what we think of as a shark, in many cases, doesn't fit what, what sharks actually are. You know, we think of these really streamlined, muscular animals that are going out there with big teeth and um, chasing after things all the time. But so many of our species of sharks aren't like that. We, we have these, you know, big fat sharks, we have flat sharks, we have, you know, long sharks, skinny sharks, anything that you can imagine pretty much is represented in the shark world. And to say, to, to generalize sharks really is, you can't do that. There is no typical shark. There's no standard shark. And so finding some of these um, really interesting aspects of their diversity and highlighting some of the things that people probably don't know is just lots of fun. And it's, it's a way that I can get out there and say, you know, yes, there are some negatives to sharks in terms of the potential for bites. And, and it's very sad when those things happen. But let's try to see sharks as a bit bigger than that. There, there's so much more to them. And you'll be better off by knowing some of these really interesting things as opposed to always focusing on the negatives because that's not really helping anyone. It's not helping anything. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fun aspect of what I do. Um, but then coming back to my background in neuroscience, again, it's, it's a really interesting field. Um, my particular research was on the development of the visual system in sharks. So I studied the brown band, the bamboo shark, which very few people know about because it's not highly represented in the shark bite statistics. In fact, I think that uh, you wouldn't even come across it there. Um, they're quite small, benthic sharks. They are very heavily um, represented in aquariums. So chances are, if you've been to an aquarium, you've seen one. But again, you wouldn't be reading about them in the news. Um, so I looked at these little benthic sharks, and we were trying to figure out how sharks' vision um, develops. So most of my study animals were embryonic or baby sharks, and we wanted to see how their eyes were developing in terms of, of other vertebrates. Sharks are a really old lineage of animals. In fact, they're one of the, the oldest um, lineages of vertebrates that we still have represented on the planet today. And so learning about them actually helps us to understand vertebrates in general. And we wanted to know how the vertebrate eyes developed. So they were a great study animal for that. Um, but we also wanted to know exactly what their eyes can tell us about how they use their environment. Sharks, <laughs> unsurprisingly, can be really difficult to study. Um, a lot of them move over really large expanses. They, they can dive deep, they can get around us. We have a really hard time following them. We don't know a lot about a lot of our species of sharks. So if we can use things like their visual system or other sensory systems to help us to see exactly how they see their environment, it can actually tell us a lot about their behavior, their movements, what they're capable of doing. So we sort of use this as a proxy for, for better understanding the species in general. So that was part of where my research fit in as well. We looked at things like, you know, can sharks see color? And it turns out that um, they would have very rudimentary color vision at most. But those were some of the things that we, we were very curious about, not only to understand sharks, but then of course, to understand how we can um, potentially mitigate the negative aspects of these animals towards humans as well. I want to go back to something you said before about, um, you know, we very much have 
one idea of what a shark is and it's overwhelmingly a great white shark attacking. Um, I'm wondering, you know, you've written about previously uh, all about the impact that Jaws has had and at first it kind of seems like a conspiracy, like, oh yeah, Jaws has had an impact on our perception of sharks, yeah, okay. But it really, really has massively because it really has given us that kind of that one perception of a shark. On that note, I'm wondering what uh, what has been the impact of the media um, on our opinions of sharks and the way that we see them? Yes, it's, it's it's so clear to see. If you read a newspaper story or watch the news that's talking about sharks, I can almost guarantee that they're going to play stock footage of a white shark or possibly a gray nurse shark because they look really dangerous. They've got these big teeth that hang out of their mouths. Um, and it could be the, the topic of the story could be anything, but if you talk about sharks, this is the image that automatically pops up both in our minds and also on the news. And it pops up in our minds because of things like the news and because of things like Jaws. Um, so Jaws was, was really interesting. It was a great, great story for a lot of reasons. And it was an absolute tragic story for a lot of reasons. Um, I'm not a fan of scary movies myself, but for some reason, I did actually like Jaws. But what it did was, you know, sharks Sharks live in the ocean, obviously, that's where you can find them. The vast majority of a lot of populations don't live near the ocean and they don't go in the ocean. So sharks were not a thing for us to think about. They were, weren't something that we had to focus on. They weren't something that we had to be scared of. They were just a very neutral thing that if people had heard about them, there was no reason to really think more about them. But what Jaws did was all of a sudden it brought this neutral ocean animal of no consequence into people's minds, into people's homes. It all of a sudden gave us an image of a shark. And this shark wasn't just your normal shark. This shark was a rogue shark that got this taste for human blood and flesh. And the only thing that could stop this shark was killing it. Otherwise, it was going to keep attacking and eating and mauling and doing all the things that we hear about so often in the media that is improperly reported on in incorrect terminology, but that's what this shark was doing. And so, yes, we, ha we now have a, a very visual image. The story was emotional. We got to know some of the characters and then they were either eaten or in danger. So it was emotional, it was visual, and th these are all the things that our brain responds to um, very intimately to say, okay, this is something that we should fear. And it's, it's really easy for us to learn fears, especially for some of these, um, these biological fears, like predators or other things that could have harmed our very early ancestors. Um, we, we take them on and they, they're very easy to learn and they're very easy to get rid of. So by seeing these images on our TV, all of a sudden we could relate to it. And by being able to relate to it, we had an example. So when we, when, when we feel threatened by something, it's not necessarily, we feel it consciously, but it's a very subconscious emotion. We have no control over when we fear something or not. Our brain just automatically recalls something and we can say, oh yeah, I remember seeing or hearing about a shark attack. And because of that, I know that it can happen and I know that I should be fearful of it. So Jaws just, it gave people this fear that otherwise it wouldn't be so prevalent in, in human society.
And going back to what you mentioned about, um, you know, media representations and how they often will use images of um, great white sharks when reporting on um, shark bites and shark events and things like that. Um, what's your view of the way the media, you know, um, reports on those types of issues and how do we see those impacts? Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll say in many cases, the media does a great job. They have a very important role. Um, but in terms of creating reality around what's happening with sharks, um, I think that we largely miss the point. And I think that there's a, a lot of reasons that this happens, or there's at least multiple reasons that this happens. And it's not necessarily because journalists aren't doing their job or they're doing a bad job on purpose or anything like that. I think, first of all, we have preferred terminology, especially in the scientific realm. Um, we don't like the term attack for the most part. I, I personally believe that in a few very rare cases, people have been attacked by sharks and there's no other way to describe it. Um, but for the most part, what we see are not attacks. We have encounters, we have sightings, we have bites. Um, but to be completely honest, on a global scale, the, the vast majority of bites are, are minor. Um, in Australia, our bites tend to be a bit more serious um but to be always calling these things shark attacks is is not appropriate um i think really the challenge for us is to equip our journalists to have better terminology and to get them to think about it a little bit more um of course shark attacks are big media shark bites and shark sightings anything to do with sharks is really big media and they do have a responsibility to their organizations to get people to to read their stories to click on their articles because that's that's their job and if we can advertise things as shark attacks, then they're going to get more, more media coverage, more clicks than if you were to say a shark swam past the boat, for example. Um, but where, where there are these gaps in the terminology, what we need to do is just, we need to bring them a bit back home. We, we have so many words, there are bites, there are encounters, there are sightings. And to be able to use this more frequently than just the go-to attack, mauling, um, any of those words that we tend to see more often, I think we just need to sway that to a more realistic, um, more realistic reporting. For you, what are some of the biggest myths you see um, about sharks that are just, you know, really pervasive? Yeah, um, again, a, a really good question. So there, there are quite a few myths out there. Um, I think one of the really big ones, especially in media that comes out on shark bites, is responsibility. I think a lot of times we tend to blame sharks for these things, when in fact, we're out there in the oceans, this is where sharks live, this is where they hunt, they have to eat to survive, they have to know their environment. So I think a lot of times, an, an, another myth is that um, sharks are out there and they, they want to eat us. This can't really be proven or disproven, but the stats around it, what we tend to see from bites and through analysis of, of statistics is that sharks don't always eat us, <laughs> even if they bite. So we often say that it's a um, case of misidentification or just curiosity. You know, as, as very top predators in their environment, um, sharks need to understand what's around them. They, you know, they aren't bulletproof. They, they can be injured by things. And so to be able to maintain their safety and their well-being, they have to understand their surrounding. And they are curious animals. We do think that they're, they're just curious by nature. So a shark might come up to us 
not recognize us. We're, we're quite new in their evolution. Um, and they're going to try to investigate. And unfortunately, one of the ways that they investigate is by taste. And so that involves a bite. Um, often what we tend to see is that a shark will bite and then it will swim away. It doesn't come back to necessarily have another go or to you know, finish the job is what you might see in the media. Um, they, they're curious and they want to understand. So they take a bite and they go, okay, this isn't something that I'm interested in and they'll leave. Unfortunately, if that bite comes from a five meter white shark, then it can, can easily be fatal or extremely serious. But it's not necessarily the responsibility. The sharks aren't out there trying to get us. There's no blame, there's no responsibility. And equally, we, in some cases, blame the humans if they're bitten as well. And that's just as unfair. If people are out there pursuing an activity that they love, if they're surfing or diving or snorkeling or just going for a swim in the water, there's no reason. We, we absolutely should not be blaming the person or the people involved for being out there and enjoying their environment and, and using the water for recreation um, or even for a job in some cases. So there... There just is no responsibility in these things. Subscribe to our AG magazine for six months for just $30 and save 33% on the newsstand price. That's three issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $30. Plus, you will also receive exclusive benefits, including 10% off all products purchased in our e-store. So don't wait. Go to www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia for our special offer. That's www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. I remember we chatted um, after the Sundays shark bites, and I think there were about two or three in a very small space of time. Um, and following that, um, you were talking about, you know, um, the responses to those shark bites and, um, whether whether or not those were appropriate, I think there were calls for culls and there were calls for sh- more shark nets and um, all these different mitigation um, kind of measures. How would you describe Australia's shark protection measures overall? Are they adequate or do you think they uh, there's room for improvement? Yeah, overall, I think we're moving in the right direction in many cases. Um, the shark control programs are the responsibility of the states. So there's very bespoke um, practices that we see. Queensland does something different to New South Wales, which does something different to South Australia, which is different to WA. So it's it's very hard to group Australia in this regard. Um, we've seen quite overwhelmingly that people, even in regions that are known as, as um, with increased activity or hotspots throughout Australia, um, people generally do not want lethal measures. They They want non-lethal measures that protect both the sharks and humans, and they want information. So I think to move in the right direction, um, what we need to be advocating for is greater education, greater choice in how people use the water with education in mind, and non-lethal measures. So in Queensland, we, we are still using the exact same things that we were using in the 1960s. And unfortunately, um, I think Queensland is lagging quite far behind in terms of Australia and also globally in how we um, we manage the risk that sharks uh, present. Um, but we've seen some really great studies and some great work being done in New South Wales and WA 
And, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, they're, they're not doing the right thing and we shouldn't be doing this or, or we should have tried something else or, you know, it was clear that something wasn't going to work. But I really do applaud the program managers in those states for, for getting out there and trying things. It does take a huge amount of resources. So I guess the other argument is, should we really be spending a lot of resources when we might have two fatalities a year as a result of shark bites. It's a very low number. So you know, should that money be going to other medical studies or, or um, fixing roads or things like that? But to be out there and trying things, yes, you're going to fail sometimes, but we have to know that. We have to fail sometimes to move forward. So just the, the fact that they're out there making the effort to try new things, I think is great. Um, one of the things that regularly comes up in, in studies and surveys is that people just want more information. So I'm, I'm a really big advocate for education. And this is something that, especially in comparison to nets or drum lines and things like that, it can be done with a really small budget. So if you can educate people, you know, put signage up on the beaches or, or um, encourage people to follow along with apps that show shark movement, Again, you're, nothing is going to be 100% fail-safe. You're, you're not going to have 100% of people protected 100% of the time in 100% of these environments. But you're going to be making progress that isn't harming the sharks and that's educating people and that's putting the responsibility back where it needs to be. And that's with people who use the beach. You have to understand that you're going into an environment that could present risks. And it's not just sharks. It could be any other degree of, of risk that happens when you use the ocean or really you know, any other environment. Um, but it also allows people to feel that sense of control. They can decide when they use the water, where they, they um, go surfing, what activity they want to be doing, and have the confidence that they have taken the initiative to educate themselves, to inform themselves, and that they're in, a bit more in control of what they're doing. So yeah, again, yeah, signs and things like that. We, we have things for crocodiles and jellyfish, and they work really well. It, it helps people who don't know the area, and it also just reinforces that there is a risk present. Um, and I, I think that doing something like that for sharks would be a great step forward and at a fraction of the cost of some of these other programs. You're someone who, you know, really gets out into the public and does a lot of, you know, um, really effective shark communication. I'm wondering, you know, what do you kind of say to people to get them on board with sharks? Like what, how do you sort of um, change the narrative? Well, I don't know how effective I've been, but it is something that I certainly love doing. And one of the things that I've been trying to do at least a lot more of lately is talking to kids. Um, I think that, yeah, we have we have our own opinions on things, and the way that we perceive reality, the way that we think about sharks, whether we fear them or we love them or whatever it is, it's really hard to change. When we feel a certain way about something, we surround ourselves with people who have similar opinions. We listen to a certain news channel or media source that supports our opinions, and we just continue to back ourselves. Um, so getting out there and changing people's minds is extremely difficult. Um, one thing that I've learned that doesn't work is going out there and quoting statistics. And this is one of the things that you often see. You, you might hear, you know, quotes on how many bites we've had, how many fatalities we've had, or, you know, how much more you're likely to be killed by a coconut or things like that. Um, that doesn't work. People don't relate to numbers. So what I tend to do is I... 
I just try to have open conversations with people. And I find that that's far more effective if they can tell me what they think. And I listen um, and then respond and just open up a conversation with them and, and have a chat about how they feel. And then, you know, possibly throw in some of the science and possibly just throw in some of my opinions or, um, you know, what I've heard from other people as well. You know, we, we do, we're storytellers and we base our knowledge on anecdotes. And, you know, this again comes back to why the media is so influential and how we think about sharks, because we hear these stories and we respond to that far, far more than what we do with statistics and, and numbers and all of that. Um, so I just try to have conversations with people really. And I listen, um, everybody has a story to tell. Everybody has their own experience and you can't, you can't count that out. You can't just erase someone's experience and say, no, that's not right. Um, you have to listen and you have to, you have to talk to them around what they know and what they believe and what they've seen. And that's how you start to, to change people's minds a little bit, even if it's just a little bit, I think that's a, a great step forward. Um, and again, you know, talking to kids, they're, they're far more excitable, they're interested. They haven't necessarily made up their minds yet. They haven't necessarily seen Jaws or the news or read the newspaper with terminology like attack and mauling and um, you know, that sharks patrol the beaches. So if I can get out there and talk to these kids and allow them to have a really positive experience, or you know, if I'm not as funny as I think I might be, a neutral experience around sharks, then they're going to be far better off. They, that's preconditioning them for when they do, do eventually go out and watch Jaws or watch the news. They'll have this positive background. I've gotten in first and having that positive or neutral experience to start off with is a way to basically immunize them against what they might hear that's negative. And you know, kids are great. They go home. So I've, I've given some talks at schools and I've had parents come up to me and say, oh, you're the shark person. So I know they're going home and they're talking to their parents or the parent might come up and say, oh yeah, you know, my daughter was teaching me about hammerhead sharks today. She said that you were telling them about it and she was telling me this. And then her sister came up and started teaching me about hammerhead sharks. And that just makes me, it gives me the best feeling because I know that I'm sparking interest. And if people are interested in something, they learn more about it. And if they learn more about it, they're going to, they're going to be, you know, just, flabbergasted by how cool sharks are and we protect what we love. So last year there was an image that circulated of a young diver next to an enormous great white shark and I guess the purpose of the picture was to prove that you know great white sharks you know they're not dangerous they're not going to maul you um, you know the nature of this of these sharks have been misunderstood. I'm wondering what was your opinion um, of that that picture? Um, that's a great question with without an easy answer. I, I have to say, I was a bit of a fence sitter. <laughs> I certainly had opinions, um, but I couldn't really decide on, on which way I wanted to go. Um, I loved the image for the reason that, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. And this picture basically showed such an important aspect of, of how we can coexist with sharks. Um, it is a very, very, very unlikely scenario that if you're in the water with a shark, anything negative is going to happen. If you're out there diving or surfing or swimming in the ocean, chances are you've had a shark in reasonably close proximity to you. You probably haven't been aware of it, but they are out there. Um, and it's just something that we have to understand if we want to use the marine environment. Um, so this picture just showed that. It showed that 
we can coexist with sharks. We can be in their presence without something negative happening, which was absolutely fantastic because it's what people have been trying to advocate for for so, for so long. Um, but on the other side, uh, it also showed that you can safely swim with white sharks, which um, yes, you can, but there are situations where it's, it's not safe to do that, of course. You know, like I was saying, they are curious animals and we don't want them necessarily to be too curious about us. We don't want to encourage them to come over and check us out because that's when, when bad things can happen. Um, so just showing that, you know, the, it, I guess what everyone was worried about is that people were going to take this to say, oh yeah, you know, if, if this person has done it, I can go out there. So next time I do come across a shark or I might go looking for them, I'm going to try to jump in and swim next to them. Um, Sharks, I don't know if it's surprising or, or not surprising, but they absolutely have personalities. And so what divers who swim with sharks or who free dive with sharks do is they spend a lot of time getting to know the animals. Um, we do get to know the animals. They, a lot of sharks that have been studied have names. If you look at different apps or different organizations that study them, they can identify the animals um, and you get to know their personality. Some are more curious than others. Some are very skittish. And as soon as someone gets in the water or um, a boat comes around, they'll, they'll flee the area. Um, so understanding the personality of these animals is absolutely crucial to being able to safely be in the water with them. So these are the types of things that are happening behind the scenes that that picture didn't show. You'd have to put a lot of research and a lot of time around the animal in a very, in a, in a much safer way um, to be able to do that without really putting yourself at too great a risk. And last question, one of the things that I find most fascinating about sharks is just how little we know about them. Just because for an animal that, you know, is so um, widely feared, it's just interesting to know that we don't know that much. Um, from in, in your opinion, where should future research focus when it comes to sharks? You're absolutely right. We, we still know so little about sharks and even some of our really iconic charismatic sharks, you know, the white sharks, the tiger sharks, the bull sharks, um, there are, are gaping big holes in what we know about these species. We don't necessarily know where um, white sharks give birth, where, where they go to mate, things like that. Tiger sharks are just a big swimming anomaly. Every time we think we learn something about tiger sharks, one pops up to prove us wrong. Um, there's there's literally so much that we need to know to understand them. Um, I guess th really the main areas that we need to focus on are around conservation. So what do we need to do to protect these animals? Sharks are, are extremely susceptible to overexploitation. They're very slow to grow. They have few young compared to many other species. Um, so they're very vulnerable uh, to, to different threats. Um, the big ones being commercial and recreation fishing, um, illegal fishing, habitat degradation, things like that. So we need to understand how they're using their environment, what, what triggers them to move. So understanding their movement and behavior and, and especially in terms of how they come close to human use areas or where we might be out there fishing um, are some really important questions that are not easily answered. Um, and then again, you know, if, if we want to conserve these animals, we do have to understand a bit more how they're interacting with humans, why they're interacting with humans and what we can do to mitigate some of that. Um, 
our shark prevention, like shark bite prevention programs aren't necessarily topping the list of reasons that um, our shark populations are declining, but they are up there and our fear of sharks is causing those programs to be running. So if we can better understand shark behavior and, and why they might be coming into areas that are overlapping with where we use, the beaches that we use, um, then that would be a good step in the right direction. Um, otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in sharks in terms of human medicine. I think that we have so much to learn from these animals. They are, again, they're, they're survivors. Sharks are absolutely survivors. They've been around for 450 million years. And like I was saying before, they're one of our oldest um, extant lineages of vertebrates. And they've got strategies in place for, you know, basically just surviving. So we've already identified a number of different things that we're using for human health. It, you know, it could be studying their scales and the patterns that they have uh, for these dermal denticles, um, which is their scales, to see how we can um, have better, um, better surfaces that have antimicrobial properties. So for like um, hospital bed rails and surfaces uh, where they can be very highly contaminated by nasty pathogens, um, which is fascinating. And you're not going to get some of these things elsewhere. Um, sharks are also excellent at healing. So studying some of their immunology and their antibodies is proving to just open up different worlds for us in terms of um, medicines and how we can heal from different things and how we can beat different diseases. Um, so there's just, there's so much to learn. So we need to be doing this now. If our populations of sharks are declining, we don't have forever. We, we need to be understanding these things and we need to be putting different things in place to help to start um, conserving these animals better and protecting them on a global scale. Thank you so much for coming on Talking Australia today. That's all right. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia. If you have questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at australiangeographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia, you'll find a special subscription offer. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening. Until next time.